Today we're going to deal with one of my most favorite topics. It is the issue of living in community. Now, someone once said, I don't know who, I wish I could give them credit, that we, you and I have been created out of the ultimate community of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, to live in community with one another. It's a great quote. We've been drawn out. We have been created out of the ultimate community. The Trinity is the example, the ultimate community, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that incre incredible relationship and community and connection, and that we've been created out of that to live in community with one another. The words alone, lonely, and loneliness are three of the most tragic words in the English language. If you've ever been alone, if you've ever experienced loneliness, then you know what I'm talking about. I think they're the three saddest words in the English language. The words community, connection, and together are three of the most powerful. Community, connection, together are incredibly powerful and encouraging words. And here's the thing, you and I were never meant to be alone. We were never meant to be alone. We were made to be connected in community. And by the way, it's why it's one of the four core values here at East Point. We used to have them in the auditorium. They're out in the lobby now. You see the banners, love, connect, serve, and grow. Connects our second value around here. It's one of our core values. And it's important for me that you get this today. And so I'm going to ask you to listen well and open your hearts to hear from God. And I want to talk about why hermits die ugly and how to avoid becoming one. Why hermits die ugly? And I'm using that phrase on purpose. You know, the dictionary defines hermit, and it's right out of the, the dictionary. Here it is. A hermit is a person who is withdrawn to a solitary place, living in seclusion as a recluse. Okay, get it. By the way, a hermit is also a spiced molasses cookie containing raisins and nuts. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but did you know that? Yeah, there's a cookie called a hermit. Anyhow, I'm using the word hermit intentionally and on purpose because I want you to have this visual image in your head of a very odd guy who lives a very odd life. And you so don't want to be that guy. You do not want to be that person because that guy is emotionally ugly and more than a little scary. When I was a little boy, I uh, lived in Renton, Washington for a while. And we lived in Renton when it was a small little town. It was uh, not the busy suburb of Seattle that it is now. In fact, the house we lived on was surrounded by woods. I don't think you could find a house like that in Renton today. And uh, we had, you know, as, as boys, you can imagine, I'd run all over the neighborhood and have fun and, and pretended to be Daniel Boone. Anybody remember Daniel Boone? You want to sing the song? Daniel Boone. Okay. Anyway, I, I, uh, I ran around with a dull hatchet in my belt and BB gun in my hand, and we would, and my friends, we... We would always be out in the woods somewhere. Well, there was this wetland to the west of where I lived. I remember it was to the west because the sun always set over this area. And it was uh, it's kind of spooky, you know, wetlands can be. And, and there was a shack on this, in this area. It was a house, but pretty run down, that this old little scary man lived in. He, he was long hair, was always kind of dirty, skinny little guy. And we would, my friends and I, we, my brother sometimes, we'd sneak over to this guy's property and just to make fun of him, throw rocks at his shack, and, and because he was so weird. We were drawn to him like, you know, a moth of delight. We just, we had to go see this guy. He'd find out we were there, he'd hear the rocks, and he'd come out screaming and yelling, and we'd run away, you know, screaming and yelling and laughing. You know how it is when you're kind of afraid and kind of having fun at the same time. And the whole point is you don't want to be that guy. The guy that lives in a shack out in the wetland someplace being weird and, and chasing after kids. That's not what God wants for us. Now, you might be thinking, well, I would never go that far or be that weird. I hope not. But too often, too many end up emotionally alone and isolated through a whole series of choices they've made based on some really false beliefs. 
on some things that in our culture we believe. And we need to understand some things today. I want to blow some things up in your thinking. And we need to embrace some things and see some false beliefs if we are to avoid or prevent what I call hermitism. I made that word up. But it's the disease of being isolated and alone. And here's the first thing, number one, if you're taking notes today. Understand that rugged independence is not, I repeat, not a healthy or godly trait. Rugged independence is not what God wants for you. Despite the fact that we idolize the, the tough guys, the heroes, we make heroes out of the rugged, macho men like everybody from John Wayne to John Carter. By the way, good movie. I saw John Carter. It's good. But it has nothing again to do with anything. But we make heroes out of guys like this. If you see the movie, you get that, well, look, at he's, you know, he was hurt and he's, he kind of went through. You know, we make heroes out of people. But despite that, we were made to be interdependent, not independent. We were made to be connected to each other. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 2.18 that it's not good for us to be alone. God looked at Adam and I'm thinking, I'm sure this boy's going to be a mess without a woman. He, they, he, look at how much, he's a slob. He is going to be so messed up. If we don't, I mean, God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man, for us to be alone. And he looks at us and he says the same thing. It's never good for us to be in our own. Fierce independence is a common trait among too many. But God calls us to live in committed interdependence with each other. By interdependent, let me give a definition. This is not in your outline. I'll say it a couple times because you might want to write it down. By interdependent, I mean equally supported and connected in a mutually beneficial way. Equally supported and connected in a mutually beneficial way. And this is a very important definition for you to understand. Because one thing you need to get is interdependency is not codependency. And I don't have time to, to define that much, but it's not. It's not where I need to be needed. But in a mutually dependent relationship where my connection with others is good for them and good for me. Codependency, that's not true. But in interdependency, it is where that we have this mutually beneficial relationship where our connection with each other is good for us. Here's how the Apostle Paul described the way we are to be connected. And I could spend weeks in this passage. I'll spend about five minutes. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul wrote, the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. And when he says so it is with Christ, he's not talking about Jesus, the person, but the body of Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. Skip down to verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. He keeps coming back to this. I repeat things. He repeats things. It's because we want you to get it. Though there are many parts, there's only one body. And, and therefore the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, I, I, I won't take any more time, but in this chapter, 12 times in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul refers to the body of Christ as a body. He refers to this illustration of the, the human body. Why? Because he wants us to understand that we're connected. Just like my toe, which I stubbed a few nights ago getting out of uh, coming back uh, to bed after I went to the bathroom, I hit my foot on the door frame. I was in a stupor and, and nailed my, my toe, and it hurts. And just like my toe is connected to my body, and when you stub it, your entire body ever ripped a, a fingernail or toenail off? It's just a little thing. Not that big a deal. Ever got a sliver someplace in your body? It hurts. Your know, entire body responds to pain. Why? Because we're connected to each other. Paul wants us to understand that we are one. And listen to me. He's not suggesting that this is the way it should be. Wouldn't it be great if we were a body? 
Don't, don't go there at all. He is not suggesting this as an option. He's saying we are connected, we are one, and we need to function in that reality. We don't need to be independent. In fact, we need to be interdependent. We're a body. Here's the second thing. Number two, you need to understand that on your own, you'll become abnormal and maybe weird. You will. I love Don Miller's book. I don't know if you've read it. It's called Blue Like Jazz, and actually has a movie coming out from the same title soon. And I read it when it first came out a long time ago because I met Don. Don goes to my kids' church in Portland, and, and a great guy. I love him. And I, I love the book because it's a little raw and a little real, and, and he's just kind of lays it out. The really good book. And uh, I read it again on vacation here a couple of weeks ago. And one chapter in particular just, I laughed and I cried. I thought, wow, this is great. The chapter is entitled Alone, 53 Years in Space. And he tells a story, which I don't have time to dig into. But there's one quote that he, that he a statement he made that I, I want to read to you, which is so true. He says, when you live on your own for a long time. Now, by the way, insert, he did. He was kind of a loner. He is a self-proclaimed hermit, was, until God began to deal with him in this issue. So he's speaking from experience. When you live on your own for a long time, your personality changes because you go so much into yourself, you lose the ability to be social, to understand what is and isn't normal behavior. There's an entire world inside yourself. And if you let yourself, you can go so deep inside it, you will forget the way to the surface. He goes on to describe how he lived uh, all alone and isolated and so much so that he imagined having a relationship with Emily Dickinson, who, by the way, died in 1886. She's a poet, and he, has, he admired her and had imagined, in fact, he would have conversations with her. Weird. And it's a kind of hilarious but terribly sad as well. And he's just describing how when we get isolated and we get alone, we get weird, we get strange. And his point is my point. When we get isolated and insulated from real people in the real world, we can get real weird. Now, maybe we don't end up talking with Emily Dickinson, but our definition of normal becomes skewed and off-center because we're alone. It's kind of like that well-known illustration of the frog in the kettle, especially if we're in a kettle of our own making. The longer we sit in that pot alone, the more normal boiling water begins to feel until we're cooked, until we're cooked meat. And we need others in our lives. We need the challenge of others. Somebody to walk up to say, dude, you got to get out of that. That's hot water. You're going to die in there. We need people. Otherwise, we get weird and we get hurt. Now, I applaud. Let me just make sure you get this. I applaud individualism. I really do. In fact, I like unique people who seem to dance to a different tune. I do. Uh, I've got some kids and, 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 and in-laws that are that way. And, I, man, I, 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 I love them. I value that. But sometimes we take it too far and we lose our touch with reality, especially when our world becomes all about us, especially when we, it's all about what we want and what we think, and it's very self-centered, self-focused, and narcissistic, not healthy, not good. And the reason why that happens sometimes is because we get isolated from others. My wife and I were sitting at a restaurant in the Hawthorne District of Portland uh, last summer with my kids, and I kid you not, Strangest thing I've seen in my life goes rolling by. In fact, I've got a picture of it right here. This guy uh, is on a unicycle. He's coming. And he, there he is right there. <laughs> now, he didn't have the Darth Vader hat on. I'm not kidding when I say we're sitting in a Mexican restaurant and, in the Hawthorne District, and this guy with missing the uh, Darth Vader hat goes riding by on his unicycle playing the bagpipes. Now, here's the little thing. Some of you are thinking, so what? Nothing wrong with that. I'm worried about you. 
Come see me afterwards. Because that's weird, all right? That's not normal. That's, that, is, that is craziness, you know, because it's, and there's a guy that it is a classic example of uniqueness and individualism gone wild. Somebody needs to tell him, you know that's not normal, dude. And, and you're never going to get married. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Let me, yeah, maybe he was. <laughs> <laughs> Let me be clear. God loves variety. Look around the room. He loves variety. And our distinctiveness is cool. In fact, God celebrates our diversity. He really does. Remember what it said in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greek, slave or free. And the point that Paul is making there, and the message there, is that our nationality or ethnic background doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. To God, it shouldn't matter to us. I love the fact that East Point has got people of color, and I want it to have, us to have more. Our social position or economic status doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God. It shouldn't matter to us. Our differences in personalities don't even matter. They just don't matter. God celebrates your uniqueness, and we can rejoice in that as well. But it is in the context of community that we have a, a mirror in others. And this mirror sometimes will show us great things. Sometimes the reflection of our lives in the lives of other people, we will see God. We will see how the Lord has used us. We will see good things that God has done in us. And we'll go, wow, I, I see in that friend, in that brother, in that person, the, the influence, the impact that, that God has allowed me to have in their life. And you go, wow, praise God, that is awesome. Sometimes the mirror will show us the good and the godly things that we've become in connection with other people. Sometimes the mirror will show us things that are not so holy, not so good, not at all like him. We can rejoice in our uniqueness, but we need to understand that on our own, isolated, we don't become what God wants us to be, which takes me to my final point this morning, number three. Understand that without others, you will not become the person God wants you to become. Understand that without connection, community, relationship, meaningful, vital relationships with other people, you will not become, there's no way, you're going to become the man or the woman God wants you to become. So here's a reality that we all need to deeply embrace. Without you in my life, at whatever level you're a part of my existence, without you in my life, I will not and cannot become the man God wants me to be. And here's another truth. Ready? Here it comes. Without me and yours, you cannot and will not become the man or woman God wants you to be. We need each other. To become the people God has destined us to become, we need connection with others. God has chosen people, imperfect and flawed as they are, to shape, to mold, and to form us into the people that we need to be. And let me land just for a second really hard on this. Some of you are thinking, I don't know if I need people like that. And you got that person in your head, your mind. And I'm telling you, I don't, I don't applaud what they've done. If they've hurt you, wounded you, that's horrible. But here's what I do know. Even imperfect people, God uses them to mold and shape us into the people we need to be. You know, it might seem silly to think about it, but God could have created 7 billion livable planets for 7 billion people to live on. Each of us, our very own world. He could have done that. He could have said, all right, and there's 7 billion planets out there in the universe, I'm sure. He could have said, you are here, and you are here, and this is your world, and that is your world. Go have fun, great 
you know, go, go enjoy the world I, I created for just for you. He could have done that, but he didn't. He put us on a planet with a lot of people together. Now, some of you, tragically, when I said you could have your own planet, you thought, boy, that would be great. Wow. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because then I could live free from the mess of humanity. But it's precisely the mess of humanity that we need. Are you listening? It is precisely the mess of humanity that we need if we're to become the men and women God wants us to be. And it's the glory of humanity that we need as well. You know where I best learn compassion and kindness? In relationship with people. You know where we best learn forgiveness? In relationship with flawed people. You know why God put us in a family? Because he knew that there would be sibling rivalry. Because he knew that we would want to kill our sister. He knew that we would have times where our moms and dads would just push every button in us and we would get so angry and so frustrated. God knew that. And he put you in a family that's flawed. Anybody got a perfect family? No, you don't. <laughs> we are all flawed. We're all imperfect humans. We all have stuff. We, every one of us has a little bit of baggage. Maybe just carry on baggage, maybe a lot, but we all got baggage. We all have issues. And God put us into relationship with each other, knowing that that's where we would learn how to be most like him. God put you in church, in a community of faith that is far from perfect. Let me just categorically, without hesitation, make this clear to everybody. We're not it. We're not the perfect church. And I am far from the perfect pastor. I spit when I talk. It's amazing. <laughs> That's why we put the front row so far back. Somebody got a little late. That's good. That's right. <laughs> Guys, God put us in a community. Knowing that it was there that we would learn how to love each other. That we would learn compassion and kindness and forgiveness and grace. You don't learn those things on your own. You lived on a planet all by yourself. How are you going to ever learn about forgiveness? It doesn't happen. It happens in the context of relationships. God has put us into relationships so that we would be provoked and challenged sometimes to, to get out of our safe, comfort little world, our, our little comfort zones. Some of us would, would, would be encapsulated in this cocoon of our own making and live there for the rest of our life if somebody didn't come along from once in a while and say, you can do better. I believe in you. I know what God's given you. I've seen the gift of Jesus in you. I know what you can do for the kingdom. I know what God wants to do through you. We need that provocation, that, 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 that encouragement, that challenge from others in our lives. I'm, I'm here to tell you, I would not be a pastor today if it weren't for two guys, Greg Moffat and Paul Plummer who when I was 19 years old, on my way to become a fireman and a paramedic, nothing wrong with that, by the way, and that was my life dream. But on my way to do that, these two men, within a matter of weeks, both challenged, and they didn't even know each other, both challenged me, Kurt, have you thought about becoming a pastor? Ha! I wouldn't have heard of them. Bola, you got to get, get out of me. Leave me alone. Leave me, I don't want to hear it. But they challenged me. They provoked me. They encouraged me. Have you thought maybe God has something else for you? Is the fact that I may not see what I need to see or hear what I need to hear without the prophetic voice of others in my life that is a reason why we need to be connected in relationships. Let me run through a couple of scripture verses real fast. Solomon put it this way in Proverbs 27, 17. 
As iron sharpens iron, so people can improve each other. As iron sharpens iron, so we can improve and sharpen one another. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, help each other. Speak day after day to each other while there's still today so that your heart will not become hard by, or by being fooled by sin. And verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and let us help one another to, to good works. I love the, the, the King James here. The writer says, let us consider how we can provoke one another to love. It's a strong word. And the image here of the writer of Hebrews, let's help, let's encourage, let's challenge each other. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in 1 Thessalonians. He said, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you were doing. And we urge you, we urge you, he said, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Sometimes it's a, it's a challenge, a, a, a correction that we need. Sometimes it's just encouragement to the disheartened, the brokenhearted. And sometimes it's just helping somebody who's weak and struggling. Over and over and over and over and over again. God paints this very clear picture of us becoming better and stronger and more like Jesus because of the godly influence of others in our lives. So why don't we all just go there? I, I, most of you think, okay, all right, all right. or some of you think, yeah, God, I've been there. Right, let's, I'm good. Thank you, move on. But why is it that we struggle? Why is it that really a relatively low percentage of our people are involved in a life group on a regular basis? Why is it that sometimes we so easily isolate and, and withdraw? Why? Well, there are probably a dozen reasons. Let me land on a couple that I'm very familiar with. Sometimes it's hurt and fear that hinders us from engaging and opening up in, in, in community. We opened ourselves up. We exposed ourselves emotionally. We engaged in connection with somebody or a group of somebodies, and they let us down. Anybody ever been let down by anybody? Raise your hand. Come on. Yeah. And, and so part of us, the reaction is, oh, bitch. done, I'm out, forget it, not going to go there, I'm not going to risk community again because that person or those people hurt me. And I know all too often that it's fear, it is, it is woundedness that keeps us from going where we need to be. I have a friend named Sherry. Years ago, uh, in fact, a long time ago, she went through a divorce. And the church she was a part of, not the church I was a part of, thank God, but the church she was a part of pretty much excommunicated her. Now, about 50% of our church probably, if statistics are accurate, have been through a divorce. And that is true of the church universal around the world. And I don't know why we get so self-righteous and harsh and mean with people when they go through that, but the church was very, very, in fact, they pretty much said, you're not welcome here anymore. Some of her family cut her off. Some of her closest friends let her down. And part of it, you know, in hindsight, she knows now part of it is people tend to take sides. If you've been through a divorce, you know what I'm talking about. You know, they tend to take sides and they, they land with somebody. People tend to sometimes not know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I, know, I didn't know how to help. And I didn't, you know, and so we just kind of back away. But she was very wounded, very hurt through that experience. And so she bailed. She, she left God left church, left all of her relationships, the ones that she had up to that point. 
And when she finally came to me in our church in, in San Diego, she said, I, I'm taking a big risk in being here today. And I remember the first conversation I had with her. I said, what do you mean? She said, because the church has hurt me. I said, well, I'm so glad you're here today. I'm, I'm so glad that Jesus brought you here. And then I watched the Lord begin to work and heal and connect her again in community. And the point came where she told me, she says, you know, I regret. She, she was about 10 years out of community. And she said, I regret, I regret that lost decade in my life. You don't want to be like her. She would tell you, don't be like me. Don't do what I did. When you're wounded, when you're hurt, when people let you down, understand that we still need each other if we're to become all that God wants us to become. Here's one last insight from the wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiastes 4.12. Solomon wrote, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. We need each other. We desperately need each other. I posted something on Facebook this weekend while I was thinking about this message, and I'm going to read it to you, and I'm done. Here's what I realized, uh, fresh and anew for me this week. You know, when we're young, we boldly proclaim, I can do this on my own. When I was in my teens and my 20s, I was arrogant and cocky, and I, can't, I don't need nobody. We, we, we boldly proclaim, I don't need anybody. I can do this. As we grow older, about the time we start to have kids, <laughs> we realize, maybe I need a little help. Maybe I'm not as, as, as accomplished or capable as I thought I was. Maybe I need a little assistance. And by the time we're old, whatever old is for you, by the time we're old, it finally dawns on us, I can't do this without help. I can't do this without others. Here's the truth. Discovered too late by too many. We always need help. Whether you're five years old, 17 years old, 90 years old, I won't point at anybody. We always have needed help. We've always needed others. We can never do life, it. We can never do it on our own. Young or old, we share this in common. We need others. We need people. And that's the way God meant it to be. Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the simple truth that we're made out of community to live in community. God, I thank you that you put us in a family that may have been really hard for some of us. Lord, my was so dysfunctional. And yet, Lord, I am what I am today in part because you used my past, my experience, my family to mold me into a man that's a lot more graceful and kind than I would have been. Lord, you put us in a church You've put us in a community of faith where uh, we will disappoint each other. We will let people down. We won't always do it the right way. And, and yet, God, you know, you know that it's there that we are best able to become the men and women that you want us to be. But that's where we become more like you. And God, you designed this thing called the church, the body of Christ, and we are connected. It's my prayer this morning, Jesus, that you would dial that up for people in a way that maybe they haven't thought about in a while, that you would burn that into our souls, Lord, in a way that perhaps we've never felt before, that we would not leave here today. God, please, please help us not to leave here today thinking, yep, yeah, well, that was good, that was a good message, and, and to feel challenged, Lord, and then not do anything. 
God, I pray that there'll be some this morning as they walk out that say, hey, can we grab a cup of coffee this week? I'd like to get to know you better. That, that people in life groups, Lord, would invite others to join them. That, that those not in life groups would look for a way to get connected. That people who aren't serving, aren't connected in, in, in the functioning way in the body, that they would find a way to experience community the way you destined and designed and purposed them to experience it. So that, God, we can become the individuals, the families, and the community of faith that you want us to become. We need you, God. We need each other. I ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a second. And it's potentially a prayer that for you could revolutionize everything. If you're ready to become a Christ follower and you're here today and you know, you're thinking, I, I have, I've been doing this thing called life on my own. I've tried it my way. It's time for me to follow God and to give my life to him and to embrace his gift of grace. Then I'm going to pray this prayer right now. And if this is what you want, just make this prayer yours. Father, I need you. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need your life. And so I surrender. I give my life to you. I choose you. Thank you, God. Thank you for choosing me already. But right here, right now, I choose you. And I give my life to you. And from this moment on, I'm yours. I'm yours. Now that's you. And that's the cry of your heart. Just in your own way, say, yep, God, that's me. That's what I want. That's what I need. And in that moment you do, you become a child of God. You enter into relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit, and you enter into relationship with his body, the church. Lord, thank you for the people in this room and those watching online that are making that decision right now. Show them what it means. Help them to become enfolded and engaged in the body. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Ushers are going to come, and now would be the time for you to drop that visitor card or prayer request, or if you want to serve and you want to like information, drop that in the basket that comes by. Uh, this is our last Sunday of the month, and uh, you know me, guys, I'm pretty real. Uh, we need about $30,000 weekend to make budget this month. Uh, we normally take about twenty to twenty-five. so let, let me put that out. You think, well, why is everybody talking about money? Guys, listen. We're not always talking. This is about ministry. It's about people. It's about lives. If you're visiting, don't feel obligated to give. If you don't want to, don't give. That's all right. But if you're part of this church, part of this community of faith, part of this family, then I need you to give to help support what God's doing. Let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. Hey, a couple of things before you go. One, if you began your life as a Christ follower today, we want to help you take the next step. And on the tables to the right as you walk out today, there's a packet that says for new Christians on it. It's got a Bible and some material to get you started. And we'd love to talk to you. Tell somebody, let us help you. This is the community, the body of Christ, and we can help you walk through this new journey called the Christian faith. There are also on those tables more tickets. If you'd like to pick up more to give them out to your friends, uh, please take whatever you need and just use them. That's all I'm asking. Take them, use them, give them away, and that'll be great. If you need prayer, prayer team would be down front. Communion on both sides of the room. And I ask you in everything that I can with all the energy that I can, come back tonight. Come back tonight at 6 o'clock. It's going to be an awesome time together. God bless you guys. Go enjoy the sun. Thanks for coming.